Oh, Haley's last name. Rudolph? Little Haley Rudolph had uh, problems in her ears, and they took her to the doctor. One's uh, completely healed, and the other one is so much better that it doesn't, uh, they decided not even to give her any medicine. Praise God, your glory, Lord. And we have to know, we have to know, we have to know that God heals. That Jesus paid a big old heavy price on that cross that we could call on him and be healed in our bodies. So if anybody has got any disorder right now, we're going to pray and believe that God will take that away from you and you'll be healed. I also want to pray special for those of you that were here last week. You heard a little bit of little Isaiah's story. Isaiah needs a miracle because he's got to have surgery, all kinds of surgery on his mouth and his face. But God can do creative miracles. So we want to pray also for little Isaiah. And the last thing I want to say before we start to pray is this. A lot of times, whoever's up here is praying into the microphone and we kind of bob down our heads and we're probably always praying in agreement. But we have to believe. we got to believe when we pray. When we pray, heaven moves. God sends angels with anointing to come here. They're strong and mighty, it says in Psalms, and they come to do his word. And if we'll pray sincerely in faith and ask God, then what will happen is he'll speak the word. And when he speaks the word, it's done. It's done. As soon as he says healing, as soon as he says new mouth for little Isaiah, it's done. Okay? So when we pray now, believe. Understand it's paid for. Jesus did it. It's all available to us. We just have to press in and believe, not doubt. Okay, now, after all that, Father, again, we praise your name. We love you. We honor you. We thank you that you're so ultimately powerful, that there's nothing that's beyond your reach, Lord. We lift up little Isaiah, God, and we ask for a creative miracle, Lord. We ask that no knife would have to touch his face, God, that his lip and his palate and his gums and and every little part of his being, Lord, even the parts I don't know about, God, I pray that you would make them perfect, Lord, that he would never have to see the inside of a hospital except for maybe when he's going to be a dad and he can see his baby born, Lord. I pray, God, that any junk that might have found its way into him from his bloodstream, any curses or anything be broken now in Jesus' name, Lord, that that little guy is just going to be so wonderfully blessed. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that he would know it, too. That he would know who his heavenly daddy is and how wonderful and how much you love him. And, Lord, I speak to any sickness in this room, any disorder, any disease, anything at all that's outside of your will in the perfect order of heaven. And I say, be healed now in Jesus' name. Sickness, go in Jesus' name. Pain, go in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Perfection come on earth as it is in heaven. In each and every one of our hearts, Lord, as if it is in heaven. In our thoughts, Lord, as it is in heaven. Thank you that you love us so much. We pray all this in Jesus' holy, mighty, awesome, wonderful, precious, and powerful name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. It was wonderful. Amen. Praise Jesus. Yea, God. So... So last week, I forgot to take the offering. (laughs) Actually, I didn't all the way forget. I forgot at the beginning, and then I remembered that I forgot. And I said, ah, there's a place where we can do it. And then I forgot a second time. And I looked up, and I saw Teresa waving the bag at me, waving the bag at me. I said, somebody, that lady's arm's out of control back there. (laughs) Hey, thank you, whoever did that. (laughs) So uh, we're going to take the offering now. And I hope that you're always praying for the Lord to tell you what you should give. I don't know 
that I've gotten absolute revelation. I've heard teaching on the tithe, and it sounds very convincing. I've heard teaching that the tithe isn't a, a proper um, New Testament church function, that it's generosity. But honestly, I don't have a revelation in there. But I do know we're supposed to be generous. So I would ask that you would give what the Lord would ask you to give. And I would ask you, Lord, that you would bless him for it. Because it's all yours. I pray that we'd be good stewards. Gosh, I'm praying again, aren't I? In Jesus' name, Lord, multiply, multiply, multiply. Amen. Go ahead, guys. We get my stuff. I want to just reinforce one thing that Teresa said in the announcements. And I can do that because she's in children's church right now. For those of you that don't know, our very first service, I took like 30 minutes to do the announcements. Teresa summarily fired me from that role in the church, said that I'm not allowed to do announcements anymore, but she's not here. So when we first got started, we had this little band of uh, people that saw the vision of church on the street and um, committed to come and literally committed to work. They spent their whole entire summer, part of the spring, really most of the spring too, um, as we prayed together, as we preached together, as we worshiped together. And we said that uh, they were going to have to work all the time because we had about as many jobs as we had people that were signed up to participate in the church. But we promised them that as we grow, that we would continue to tell everybody in the church that it's, um, Christianity is not a, a spectator sport, but a participation sport. So that being said, if you have decided that uh, Church on the Street is going to be your home church, let us know. You can go on the website and email us. However you want to do it, let us know, because we really do need to honor the people that are never getting to be in service because they're working either every single Saturday or every other Saturday. So that's my um, heartfelt request to you, is that we would honor each other, and as, as you decide, then just plug in and we'll go. Okay? Okay. Tonight we're going to talk about salvation. I actually thought that that was going to be a fairly easy topic. The reason that I was motivated to do this is we had our first, or actually our second, um, church in the home, small group, big group meeting. And Kirk Rundell, who is uh, the head of that whole ministry for us, gave us these sheets of paper with all these questions, some of them specific, some of them open-ended, and tried to get a sense for spiritually... Uh, understanding of the Word of God, where are we as a congregation? And it was interesting. We got a really good sampling. So we got a lot of people that sent back or brought back the surveys, and he did an excellent job of analyzing what we told him. Two things that really stuck out to me were, of the people that returned the surveys, the average uh, Christian age, how long have you been saved, was 15 years. So we have a very mature congregation from the perspective of many of us have been a Christian for a long time. The other one that surprised me, though, was he asked a question about how do you become saved? How do you get born again? And of that population of people that is average 15 years, which is almost twice as long as I've been a Christian, actually, um, we had about eight or nine different answers. And that's fundamental to being church on the street. As we're light and we're salt out in the world, God's going to present us with opportunities to share the gospel. And we have to understand how it is if somebody asks us, 
do I go to heaven? How do I get saved? How do I get back to that place of right standing with God? So the motivation for tonight is to get us to that place. I'm not going to go into um, everything uh, that Jesus did. I'm not going to go into the cross and what he bought for us at the cross outside the context of salvation. And, and the, the context of the message is understanding who needs to be saved, understanding how they can get saved, and then how do we communicate that to somebody. So it's kind of a practical message. Now that said, it was very interesting to me where you have a thought. Like, you know, I was maybe number 10 of 10 opinions on how we get saved. And you start to look into the Word and study it, you find out that their message is clear, but the message isn't always every place, the whole message. So you have to really dig into the scriptures and see. I hope that what I share with you tonight will resonate with your spirit. Um, But that's the context of it. That's the direction we're going to go. So we start off with who needs to be saved. And the answer to that is, without Jesus, everybody is dead, right? If, if, if not Jesus in your, in your heart, you're dead. You're physically alive, and you have some number of years or months or days or however long you have on this planet, but you're spiritually already dead, and you're going to stay that way. And that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is that you're not literally going to be dead ever. So if you don't have Jesus and you leave this earth then you go to a place that's horrible. And existence is horrible. It's torment. It's really bad. And you have zero hope. And we don't understand an absence of hope in our culture. It's, it's, it's hard for us to understand a place with no hope. But once we pass from this life, if we've not gotten Jesus, if we've not been saved, we are totally void of hope. So the answer is everybody is dead and everybody needs saved. I'm going to read a ton of scripture to you tonight. I, I don't know if I overread scripture or not. Maybe I'll, I'll kind of find a, a right level point. But I want to make sure that if I tell you something, I'm, I'm really backing it up with scripture. Because God's word is spirit and it gets into us. So tons of scripture. You'll have to bear with me as I read. Um, first question, number one. How do we know everybody is dead without Jesus? We go to Romans chapter 2, which you don't have to because it'll be on the screens. Romans chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For there is no partiality with God, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So in these scriptures, you see there's two, two groups of people that are being addressed, those that are under the law and those that aren't under the law. First, we'll talk about the ones that are under the law. So these are people that are trying to find their righteousness in satisfying the law. So if the law says to do this, they do it. If the law says don't do this, then they don't do it. And their hope eternally is that they'll be able to meet the standard of the law, spend eternity with God, and be saved. James chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. Verse 11, For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So, I forgot who I was reading, James. (laughs) James is telling us that it's not um, which one that you transgressed. It's not that you transgressed all the sin. 
it's that you transgress any in sin. So if you were to ask yourself, okay, if I'm not right with God, but my, my process for being right was to stand true to the law, which one was it that I broke? Well, it doesn't matter. It's the first one. Because the first time that you sinned under the law, if your righteousness was to come from the law, then you're a sinner to the entire law. It doesn't matter anymore. The number two, number three, number four, number a thousand don't matter. They don't count because number one counts 100%. Romans chapter 3. Now now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So now we this this whole process of teaching here is to build upon itself. So first we know there's two groups, and then we find out that that if you if you're of the group that tries to find your righteousness in the law, if you miss on any of them, you might as well have, might as well have missed on all of them. Now we find out that it doesn't matter because you never could have in the first place. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So God gave the law not for the purpose of people, sinful people, to find a way to become righteous with him. He gave the law so that sinful people would understand that they were sinful people. And the best explanation I've ever, I've ever heard is like a straight edge. If you think of the law as a perfect straight edge, like maybe the edge of this, this metal thing, and you, and you consider yourself righteous... It's easy because our hearts are deceitful for us to believe that we're righteous and that we're doing well. We rationalize. We do all kinds of things to think we're okay when we're not. But then when you take yourself and you put it against this perfect straight edge of the law, all of a sudden your heart can't be deceitful anymore because you can see that your edge isn't the least bit straight. It might look okay when you just look at it because you can kind of fill in the spaces with your mind. But when you put it against the perfect straight edge of the law, you find out that you are absolutely a sinner. So, first thing, no salvation can come by keeping the law. Now, the second group of people, those who are looking for their salvation outside the law, maybe that's people that um, they're not Jewish, Maybe they grew up in Siberia. I don't know. Somewhere where they had no concept of the law. What does Scripture say about them? If you look in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 20, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So now you see the second group, even though they didn't understand the law, this thing that God gave to his covenant people, Israel, they're still without excuse. They don't get a pass because they were ignorant. They don't get to say, geez, you know, God, I didn't know. How come? Because they did know. Now, I don't, I don't begin to understand how they know. I don't, I don't begin to understand how that process works. But I know it does because Scripture says it does. If you look at creation, if you look at how, gosh, anything, how a tree starts with a seed, 
there's, there's life in the seed. And, and somehow, when the seed is planted in the soil, it starts to go up and it starts to come down. And that, once it gets to be a big tree, it draws its life from the soil and from the sun. It drops its leaves and it re-fertilizes its own soil. It's amazing that God is evident in creation. When you just begin to look, if you think about taste buds and, and eyeballs and sight and how the mind works, God is, is evident in his creation. Hello. <laughs> I just love that the kids are in here. It's so cool. Um, I'll tell that story later. Um, so God created a, what, what appears to me to be a foolproof system. And when I first started thinking about it, I thought, geez, you know, there's no way out. You're either righteous with God the way God says, or you're just out of luck. You're just totally out of luck. And the more I thought about it, I thought it's not because he's this um, mean, judgmental God Although he is a judge, it's because he loves us. He had to create a way that nobody could be. It's, where it says without excuse, it really means that everybody had an opportunity to understand and to receive him in such a way that they could spend eternity with him. So when you think of it in that context, it's really cool. If you go on a little further in Romans chapter 3, you find out that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it builds on itself again. Can't do it by the law. Even without the law, it's apparent to you. So there's an opportunity for you to know God and to be saved. And then it tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans chapter 6, again in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it answers our question. The question was, how do we know that everybody is dead without Jesus? We know because Scripture tells us that you can't be righteous by the law. We know that Scripture tells us that even apart from the law, you can't be righteous. We know that everybody has sinned and fallen short. And now we understand why we're dead. Because the wage of the sin, what we earn from our sin, is death. So we answer the question. Sin, um, definition of sin, actions by which humans rebel against God miss his purpose for their life, and surrender to the power of evil rather than to God. So that leads us to question number two. How do I get Jesus and be saved? Before we answer that question, there's two misconceptions that I want to deal with. The first one is, you may have heard this, one God, many paths. I was on an airplane once when I was just a brand new baby Christian, and I'm all about just joyful and happy and I know God loves me, and I never understood any of that. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't understand most of it even at that time. And I end up sitting next to this Muslim guy on the airplane. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I should share the Lord with this guy. And he could be a Christian, and he can get saved. And we had this great conversation. He, you know, I said, we can be brothers. And he said, yeah, we already are. And I said, why? And he said, because it's one God and many paths. Your path happens to be through Jesus, but mine is through this other way of getting to God. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And I shook his hand and I hugged him and I'm thinking, yay. And I came back here and I said, Pastor Jim, I got revelation. One God, many paths. And he said, no. (laughs) Pastor Jim said, no. One God, one path. So we have to be careful because people, people want to have things how they want. They want to believe what they want to believe. They want the God that's going to kind of be their God. If it's not the God of the Bible, then that God is an idol, right? So the first misconception is one God, many paths. The second misconception is that good people go to heaven. And sometimes that's true that good people go to heaven. And sometimes it's true that bad people go to heaven. 
The reality is that the only people that go to heaven are saved people. And there's a process to be saved. So the first one, one God, many paths. We can go to John chapter 14. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So we know from Scripture that there aren't many paths to the one God. We know there's one path. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God that was sent here for that purpose, that we might have the opportunity to be eternally with God. So one God, one path. The second one, I've got a bunch that I want to share with to to help us to understand it's not good people that go to heaven or bad people or tall people or short people. I'm pretty sure bald people go to heaven, but I haven't found that in Scripture yet. Um, but that saved people go to heaven. So the question we ask now is, how do, how do I get Jesus and be saved? Acts chapter 16 and 31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. So that's Paul after he and Silas were in prison and um, God busted them out and they're with the jailer who actually was going to kill himself. And now... He's saying, you know, how, how do I be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then the last set of scripture I'll read you on this topic is John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So there's a function of believing in Jesus that's associated with salvation. If you look at these scriptures, it says pretty explicitly, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Believe equals saved. But when we read Scripture, we have to be very careful that we read all the Scripture that speaks to a, pers- a particular question. You could take any one of these Scriptures, or even these three and more Scriptures together, and you could sit down with somebody in the coffee place that's really want to understand, how can I get to heaven? And you could say, believe in Jesus, and you'll be saved. But you have to look at the whole counsel of Scripture in order to answer a question, especially what you could argue is the question about Christianity, right? So let's go on and let's look at some more. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And then the next set of Scripture I want to share is Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 41 a lot of scripture to read. I'm going to read it. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see... You hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink. And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. 
Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And if you were to continue to read down through that course of Scripture, you'd find out that basically he says exactly the same thing to this other group of people. He's separated them on his left and on his right. The sheep on his right and what they call the goats on his left. And the ones on his left, he tells them, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. So if you read the scriptures, he gives you an example both on the positive and on the negative of there seems to be more. It looks like there's some function from doing the will of my father to feeding me when I'm hungry and clothing me when I'm naked that is associated with salvation because he said to the ones that fed him and clothed him that they would come and they would be with him in heaven. And to the ones that weren't, he said that they would be in this place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. So it looks like there's some function not only of believing, but also a function of doing. But again, you have to look at the counsel of all Scripture. So if you look a little bit further, you get to this place where you say, well, okay, you know, is there a way that I can get myself to heaven? And the answer to that is no. In Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself or yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith, belief, faith, belief, in Christ, and not by the works of the law, since the works of the law, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So it gets kind of confusing. He says, well, if you didn't feed me, you don't get to come, but you can't work your way into heaven. What's the difference? I think the difference between works and what the Scripture is teaching us is obedience. So we read on further, and these are the Scriptures that I really, I think, are the meat of, if you had to speak to somebody, you're in Panera Bread, and you had to speak to somebody about how do you get right with God? How do you get Jesus and be saved? It would be Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And they read that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Let me just read one more because... I always want to look for scriptures that would help me to, to really be secure in what this is telling me because it contains the things that the other scriptures, right, as, they, as we build upon them. It contains those things, but it helps us to understand the, the overarching part. Uh, Hebrews 5.9, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So there's, there's this sense of obedience that matters now. And this is where I think, in our culture, the wheels come off, people getting saved. Even a lot of people, I would, I would be bold and say there's a lot of people that think they are saved, but they probably are not saved because the lordship of Jesus Christ has never been committed in their hearts. So we tend to be okay with the believing part. Okay, I believe. I can see evidence from history. I can see um, just Jesus was real. He did miracles. I believe that God sent him for the purpose that the Bible says. I believe that he was full payment for my sin. I'm going to heaven. But we don't deal well with lordship because we don't understand that concept. 
Here in the United States, we've never had the kind of um, society where you'd call anybody Lord. We're taught to be individuals and cowboys and take care of yourself and rely on nobody and nobody's better than you and all those kinds of things. If we were from England or Germany, we would have a concept of lordship where there's a monarchy. like It's still in place in England, a monarchy where, where there'd be a king or a queen and they would be equivalent to a lord. But here in the United States, that's culturally unfamiliar to us. And to call anybody Lord would mean that I would have to submit myself as lower than. In all our lives, we've been taught that we aren't lower than anybody, that we're always the best. So that's where I think the wheels come off in our culture relative to salvation. Uh, if you look in a in the Greek dictionary and see the word that's translated to Lord, it's K-U-R-I-O-S in Greek. It's translated almost the same number of times, I think, a, a whole bunch in both cases, as Lord and Master. And, and it, it means things like this. He, Lord, he whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. Master, Lord. The possessor and dispossessor of a thing. The owner, one who has control of the person. The Master is a title of honor expressive of respect and reverence with which servants greet their master. This title is given to God, the Messiah. So you see, it's a term that is human relative. It's not just dominion over stuff. It's human relative. There are master and there are slave. And it's, it's important that we understand that when someone confesses Christ as Lord sincerely from their heart, and believes that God raised him from the dead, that essentially what they're doing is they're trading. They're making a swap. You own this life. On this earth, it's yours for however many years you're here. Could be a short time, could be a long time. You could get hit by a bus. You never know when your time here is up, but you own it. It's yours. You can spend it however you want. God's given us all free will, and we can exercise that free will however we want. But if we choose eternity with God, then we trade our free will for his will. We're no longer our own. We're his. He's master. We're subordinate to him. And the sincerity of that is seen in our obedience to him. So um, two more scriptures on this topic. Romans chapter 6, well, Romans chapter six seventeen and 18. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So we become slaves to what? To righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body. Slave to righteousness, not your own. Once you made the trade, you don't people don't necessarily understand this, but once you made the trade, you're not yours anymore, you're his. You said, okay, I'm trading however many I got here for all of time with you, God. I was bought with a price, a precious price, right? The, the blood of Jesus. So it's, it's key to understand a few things. First, now this again is in the context of salvation and, and even more specifically in the context of sharing this with somebody so that as church on the street, that we're communicating truth, okay? First thing about lordship. It's not about works, right? You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You never were. You never will be. Not possible. It's about lordship. 
And God sees the heart. He doesn't see the actions. I mean, I'm sure he sees the actions, but he doesn't measure the actions. He measures the heart of a man. He sees through the Pharisees who tried to be good, who were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He sees to the heart. So what matters is the sincerity of your heart, not your ability to be perfect in following Jesus as Lord. If Jesus said, do this, and you don't do it, and you failed, it's not so important that you failed. It's important that that it was your heart not to do that, and that you would sincerely repent. And you might ask the Holy Spirit, help me, Lord. This looks like an area of my life where I just don't seem to have you as, as Lord. Maybe it's my finances. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's who knows what, because we're a work in process. This whole issue of sanctification goes on and on and on and on as God works through his spirit, to transform us into Jesus' likeness. So, so it's really important that you understand, and when you communicate to people, it's not that they have to be perfect in their ability to submit to Jesus. It has to be that their heart is submitted to him. Okay. Second thing is that we would always correctly communicate the gospel. You, you, you'll get to that place, not so much because I'll tell you what to know, but because you read your Bible, because you pray... I can't illuminate Scripture for you. Only the Holy Spirit can illuminate Scripture for you. So we want to be sure that we're communicating the gospel correctly. And sometimes we want so bad for somebody to want Jesus that we might be... um, I can't think of the right word. Want Want to just kind of tell them what they want to hear because then maybe they'll come to church and then they'll get it right. But at least we got them close. Don't do that. The Bible talks about in the, in the last days that, that people will listen to these false teachers that are going to come and tickle their itching ears. You know, my ear itch, itches for you to tell me that I don't have to give any money in the offering. And my ear itches for you to tell me that I don't have to love somebody when they're unlovely. And then people will tell them that. And they'll say, whoa, look, at he's got a microphone and a Bible. It must be true. We have to communicate truth. And if people don't receive it, that's between them and God. What's between us and God is that we would study to show ourselves approved, that we would communicate truth, and that we wouldn't be concerned with tickling, itching ears. Interesting, this whole topic of Romans 9 and 10, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, has just been, God just had this on me for probably at least a couple of years. And I thought about so what does it you know what does it mean? The Bible is full of commands. Even the New Testament, you know, we're told to look after orphans and widows, and love your neighbor as yourself, and love the Lord your God, and um, just a, a million things are in there. But if you look at them, every single thing that God commands us to do, God, Jesus, in His teaching, or the Holy Spirit through the writers of the other of all the books of the New Testament, it all boils down to love. It all boils down to love. So if, if we get love and we pray for love and we're committed in our hearts to love, you don't have to worry about, gosh, you know, I can't remember there was something in Second Peter that the Lord told me to do and I can't remember what it is and I'm afraid I'm not going to do it and then I won't have Jesus as Lord. Don't worry about it. Love is what matters. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with absolutely everything you have and all your bases are covered because if you'll sincerely walk in love, then you are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think the faith part is a little bit easier than the the Lordship part, but neither of them is impossible because God wouldn't give us an impossible task. He wouldn't have sent his son to suffer the way he did and not get some of the the people that he loves back to be with him. So question number two, how do I get Jesus and be saved? The answer is make Jesus Lord of your life. 
Believe in his being the complete payment for your sin. So just in summary, oh, the clock disappeared. Hey, we're not doing too bad. In summary, number one, Jesus is the only way to the Father. There is no other way. There's no multiple paths to the one God. Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. The wages of sin is death. Everybody has sinned, right? So there's no exclusive group. When you, you, know, when you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, I'm not a sinner, you're like, listen, being a sinner is like an all-inclusive club. I'm a charter member. You're a charter. Everybody's a charter member. Jesus is the only way. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned. doesn't matter whether under the law or not under the law. You of yourself or by your works can never be good enough or earn your salvation. You just can't. Don't try. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's how you submit. Holy Spirit will help you with the faith. You can't come unless he calls you anyway. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the key when you're talking to people is to help them to understand lordship. Not where the Bible talks about so-and-so lorded it over them. It's not that kind of lordship. It's a lordship of love. It's a lordship of, of desiring to see everyone come to repentance, everyone coming to salvation. So I hope that this has made sense to you in, in the context of why would I care? Because you're dead. How do I know I'm dead? Well, here's the scriptures that show you. Everybody's dead. Why am I dead? Because you sinned, and the wage of your sin is death. That it requires that you would submit yourself to Jesus as Lord. And you'll feel confident that you can share the gospel. The, the, the nuts and bolts of the gospel are this. There's tons of scripture. You should read it all. You should commit it to memory. But, but people are lost, and they need to be found. Okay? Okay. All this will be on the website. The message will be up. The notes will be up. So you can pull it down. You can condense it. Do what you want with it. Stick it in your wallet or your purse. But be prepared to have a conversation with people and to understand how to help them to find Jesus. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Father, I come to you again in Jesus' name. And I ask you to just singe these, burn these words of yours, Holy Spirit, into our minds, into our memories, Lord. Give us loving hearts. Help us to know all your will all the time, Lord, in every situation. Lord, we're vessels. Our lives are not our own. You paid for us. We accept the trade. Give us your grace to be able to submit ourselves to you. Without your grace, we can't do anything. I pray each and every one of us, Lord, would be abiding in your love, that we would produce great fruit, I pray, Lord, that each of us would get revelation, revelation of your love. Each and every one of us, Lord, pour into us, pour into us revelation of the understanding of the knowledge of your love. I pray for healing in our hearts, Lord. I pray for your spirit to just transform us. I pray, God, that we would have such faith in you that we would be gripping so tightly onto you during these hard times. Lord, that we wouldn't see the storm, that we'd see you, that we'd be so focused on you, Lord Jesus, and our trust that you're going to see us through, that General Motors and VGs and all these other things are not our provision. 
You're our provision. We trust you. We love you. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Another week. Man, it was just, it's awesome. I can't tell you just how blessed I feel. I had a chance to spend a, f- a few minutes, actually over an hour with Pastor Jim. And we have to have somebody, we'll have John and Lori or somebody come down and share a testimony maybe next week. He said, man, I just keep hearing person after person after person saying how awesome Children's Church is at Church on the Street. And it is. I mean, those kids are just amazing. The people are awesome. I mean, it's just Wow, I love you guys so much. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for loving God and loving people. And go spill yourselves and spill Jesus on the road. Bless you all. Amen. We're done.